0: i <laughs> Oh. Hello and welcome. I'm Jillian Raymond, the co-creator of Juicy Bits and a Coalition Snow ambassador. And I'm Jen Gorecki, your co-host and the CEO of Coalition Snow. For those of you who are with us in season two, we are glad you're back. For those of you who are new, get ready to laugh, cry, and maybe pee your pants a little. Juicy Bits is about taking the conversations that we start on the chairlift and at the trailhead and bringing them to you to explore alternative narratives that challenge the status quo about what it means to be a modern woman in the outdoors. Grab your helmet because sometimes it's a bumpy ride. FYI, friends, this podcast is for mature audiences, so you've been warned. Let's get to work and juice the patriarchy. Hi everyone, this is Jen Gorecki, one of the co-hosts for Juicy Bits, and welcome to the newest episode of our podcast. I am thrilled to have a special guest with us today, and I want to introduce you all to Denali Hodgden, who is one of the founders of On The Land Podcast. And so today, we're going to be talking about that podcast and the inspiration behind it. So welcome to the podcast, Denali.
1: How's your That means thank you in Degaton, Athabaskan.
0: That's probably the best introduction we've ever had on this podcast. (laughs) Thank you for that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. um, Can you, for any of our listeners who are unfamiliar with um, that hello that you gave us, can you just give us a little bit more
1: context around that? Well, I'm Um, Denali Hodgden, Sa Ezret, Melinda Chase, and Ong, David Hodgden, Sa To, South Naknik, Yath Fairbanks Listow. Hi, everybody. My name is Denali Hodgden. Um, I'm originally from the villages of Anvik and South Naknik on the Yukon River and in Bristol Bay. I introduced you to my parents, um, Melinda Chase and David Hodgden. And in our culture, in my Athabascan Dine heritage, as well as in my Supyak heritage, you always introduce your family and where you're from in order to let people know your lineage and where you come from, because that gives them the context that they need in order to know exactly who you are. And I'm the creator and host uh, of On the Land Media. Thank you for that.
0: (laughs) Yes, well, and that introduction that you just gave us and On the Land Media, those those two pieces are really connected. I mean, I would, I would imagine that um, it is your um, ancestry and and your family and your connection to the land that really has um, influenced on, on the land. And I would just love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. So on the land actually came out of my, last two years of school. I just uh, completed my degree in anthropology and public policy at Brown University this last December. Luckily, I made it out before um, coronavirus (laughs) hit the the lower 48. But I it, it grew out of the need to hear more indigenous voices in the media. I think we've seen an explosion of indigenous media since Standing Rock, um, which I was fortunate enough to visit and be a part of um, in 2016, when when the protection of Standing Rock and Oshati Shakoi was going on, and since then, it's just how do we questions that have been floating in my mind are, you know, how do we hear the stories that need to be told? How do we amplify? like what is happening on the ground in our indigenous communities and then when the work that I've been doing and the exposure that I've had to the outdoor industry which I've been connected to through being a cultural interpreter in Denali National Park as well as a raft guide I realized you know there's there's a huge Connection between the outdoors and what is going on. I mean, there's obviously a huge connection between what's going on in the outdoors industry as well as what is happening on public lands, slash, you know, our indigenous lands as well. So how how did I, as somebody that has navigated between, you know, the world of being a water protector as well as the world of being a, you know, a skier and a hiker and a like RAF Guide, really bridge those two worlds together so that we can amplify the people that are, you know, both the athletes on the ground are Indigenous athletes that have had relationships to mountains or to local crags, as well as amplifying the voices of our water protectors who also have a relationship with the land that they are protecting, and with our local Indigenous leaders, youth, elders who, you know, have grown up on our land and in relationship to land through things like berry picking and hunting and trapping. And each one of these relationships are very, they're all significant. And at the same time, they're oftentimes siloed. And so water protectors might not necessarily be engaging with raft guides (laughs) all the time. Or you know, our indigenous raft guides might Mm -hmm. not necessarily or like raft guides in the non-native community might not necessarily be engaging with the issues that are happening in, in public lands and in public waters. So I was interested in, um, for my for my final theses, uh, in creating something that was going to extend beyond the academy and really be something that our communities can connect with in the outdoor industry, in our indigenous communities and across multiple policy and scientific communities. So, you know, you and I uh, were talking before we got on and started a press record about how each one of these things seems so separate. And and yet at the same time, everything is so interconnected. And uh, I think that's one of the issues that we're facing right now is the fact that we have so many silos. So how do we how do we, you know, be the connector, be the translators mm-hmm. between each one of these silos, so then people can see the larger picture? That's a very long-winded response.
0: No, it's don't. It's fantastic. Um, I really appreciate the part that you included about wanting to bring these conversations outside of the academy because that's such an important part of uh, knowledge creation that we live in a world that tends to value knowledge that's created in these institutions but we know that oftentimes that knowledge um both only is made available to certain people who have the access to it through the form of journals or coursework but then also we have to think about who are the people who create that that knowledge and there's been this movement um for for quite a while, I, I would say that it's probably gaining quite a bit of momentum around centering and and valuing traditional ecological no- knowledge and how that um, that is essentially like this incredible body of work that has never fully been integrated into mainstream academics. And so could you talk a little bit about how, this podcast is creating knowledge around um, a body of evidence or a body of of anecdotes that might be left out of traditional um, creation of what we would consider knowledge or facts
1: Has uh, your for that question and the way that you framed it as well because i think that that is part of the work that needs to happen a lot of the times allies or people that want to become allies don't necessarily know the nuances you know the nuances that are even in your question of saying like okay this is traditional ecological knowledge and for the listeners that are out there that don't know what that is traditional ecological knowledge is the knowledge that has been passed down in our communities in our indigenous communities since time immemorial it is the knowledge that is embedded in our stories that describes our relationship and how we are supposed to live in relation to the land, to the water, to plants, and to our animal relationships. Um, It oftentimes describes the, again, like I said, the protocols in which we have to be existing in the world so that we can continue to have fresh water so that we can continue to see crops the next year. And that includes science that includes needing to know, you know, when to plant, when to harvest, when to go out and check your trap line, when to um, go out and check for fish, that it, it speaks to how the moose are doing, how you evaluate, you know, different populations of animals. And so the traditional ecological knowledge that we are hoping to carry through as On the Land Media Collective is really remembering the stories that our elders have carried and passed on to those of us that have been fortunate to spend time with our elders in our communities. And then also realizing that traditional ecological knowledge never necessarily stops. Mm -hmm. It continues and and it is constantly also being Mm -hmm. created with our new generation, with generations and, and our future generations of young people and so within the academy, it traditional ecological knowledge has never really been something that has been valued, which is, I think, in part why I mean it is really why we are seeing the ecological crises that we're facing now Absolutely. under anthropogenic climate change. Mm-hmm. People do not understand how to live in relationship, in good relationship with mm-hmm. water. You don't know how to live in good relationship with land. You know, I right before I got on this this conversation, I was um, sent a photo of a a um, aisle in Cabela's, and it was all the ammunition that was completely gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people are going crazy right now, and it's mm-hmm. it's funny to be connecting those two things, but it it recalls in me the the scarcity mindset in which people you know, have functioned under the, the capitalist, capitalistic regimes that we are under right now. Okay. And part of the reason why we are facing something like climate change is because we have been living beyond our means. We have been living beyond um, those protocols that we, we as indigenous people have have known, but that was also stripped away from us. Mm-hmm. And so I think within the academy, what what we're seeing right now is this: like, oh, hey, <laughs> like we haven't we ha- we've been evaluating, and I use that word very intentionally. We've been evaluating you knowledge mm-hmm. in the wrong way. We've been measuring it for its um, for its its wealth, mm-hmm. not in terms of. Um, Not in terms of the wealth that like, you know, living with those protocols can provide us, but in terms of what is the next thing that we can move on to and what is the next thing that we can consume. Right. And within a consumptive society (laughs) that really says like, okay, we don't need to slow down. We don't need to just observe. We need to you know find our next grant and we need to get this we need we need to you know get this academic research project funded for the next mm-hmm. year <laughs> or we need to write our theses under this zone or you only have 4 years of college in order to learn it, that just puts a it puts a strainer it puts a like it puts a stressor mm-hmm. <laughs> on people's growth and on their ability to just take time to be in relationship with what they are trying to know. Um, And I realize in saying all that, that sounds very abstract. And so I can give some more tangibles if that (laughs) would be helpful. No, I don't, I don't think it sounds, Um, I don't think it sounds abstract (laughs) at all. And and really like what, you know,
0: what we're talking about here is, you know, why are we creating knowledge and who are we creating it for? And when you think about research, you know, when, when you think about, Education. So much of that has gone into educating a future workforce who can serve the powers that be, um, and so so there hasn't been an emphasis on how could we care for the earth in a way that benefits local communities. It's been how can we um, how can we take from the earth in order to produce enough food for X, Y, and Z. It's just a really different. When I think about it, it's just like a really different mm-hmm. way of who is this information meant for and who is it meant to serve, and then also who benefits mm-hmm. from it, right?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. What I would love to hear from you um, is is some of the stories um, that you're most looking forward to sharing through On the Land. Some of the stories and some of the, the people.
1: Yeah. We... You know, when I reach out to people and when we are having guests on on the podcast, they are they are our storytellers. You know, that's something that we really tried to emphasize in our trailers for On the Land was, one, we are creating a podcast that is for and by Indigenous people. It is centered around our own ways of knowing and centered around the concepts that we have been having to live out in our daily life. And so... A lot of the stories that you will hear and a lot of the people that we're talking to are leaders on the ground, storytellers on the ground that are doing the work within our communities in in, in a multiplicity of ways. You know, I this season. This season really came out, you know, on the land itself, in terms of wanting to create a podcast, wanting to, you know, have it fit into each one of these different sectors that I described earlier, um, was born before this season of on the land. And I'm, I'm so excited for Kleg, which means spring, Deg Hinnag, because it's, uh, it's a remembrance, it's a reawakening, it's a reimagining of really what our Arctic can be and what our Arctic presence as Indigenous people has been, is, and hopefully will be in the future. And so I was fortunate enough to visit Rovamani, um, which is a city in Sapmi, which is the um, traditional homelands of the Sami people. Across Norway, Finland, Sweden, and Russia, in November, and while I was there, uh, I was there for the Arctic Indigenous or the Arctic Youth Leaders Summit and the mm-hmm. Arctic Youth or the Arctic Leaders Summit. Mm-hmm. Sorry, <laughs> there, there's so many acronyms Mouthful. in the <laughs> in the Arctic <laughs> that it's like how do I keep all these acronyms like aligned? <laughs> yeah. So the Arctic Youth Leaders Summit brought together. Um, around, I think there was 18, it was either 18 or 22 or some, some number in between there of different indigenous Arctic youth from around the circumpolar North that are, you know, taking leadership positions or have been gifted with leadership positions within their community. And while I was there, you know, we were, we were there in order to one, meet each other, see each other and really just hear about our experiences as young people and think like think together what do we need? Mm-hmm. You know, what are we looking forward to as youth living in the Arctic under climate change, under the pressures of development, under the fact that with thawing ice and thawing permafrost, you know, minerals and gas are becoming easier to access. And new shipping routes are being looked to, to and tourism. I mean, now tourism is going to be a little bit different <laughs> under, mm-hmm. under, again, coronavirus. Mm-hmm. But we we do have to project for the the what the Arctic will look like as it warms up and as people look to the Arctic as a new place of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so while there, we had a conversation and it was centered around, and it was for On the Land, um, and it, it was just gonna be one episode, but the main question that we talked about was, what does your Arctic indigenous future look like? You know, What does your Arctic oh, yes. future look like as a young person from the Arctic? And I was able to hear from some amazing youth from Sápmi, uh, from Inuit Nunaga, which is the Inuit um, homelands of Canada, from uh, Inuit youth from the Alaska side, uh, from a young woman. Um, her name is Seki in Greenland, and she actually will be one of our, our youth on, or our, our storytellers on on the land this season. And Seki is amazing. She's the Arctic focal point for the Global Indigenous Youth Caucus, and she also has, um, she was a person that started LGBTQ Greenland and Mm. so when we're thinking about the Arctic it is one of the places that has you know been faced with colonization much later than a lot of communities across Turtle Island and yet and so Mm -hmm. so our communities are in different places in terms of their relationship with with colonization um which is like everywhere across across the world <laughs> but mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. in greenland visiting with Becky while in um in rova you know we did talk about mental health we talked about what it means to be an indigenous person in the arctic while facing all of these different issues and so we will be hearing from her um, we're also be going to be hearing in two weeks two and a half weeks, three three weeks, we're going to be hearing from Haley Hana Stepitin. Mm-hmm. And Haley Hana, uh, she was actually the first person that I interviewed. She is uh, Yunanga from um, Unalaska. And uh, she's actually was the last person that was born on Akutan Island. And she's a PhD student. And her and I actually get a little bit more into the weeds about, you know, mm-hmm. indigenous knowledge and its place within the mm-hmm. academy. And mm-hmm. so we're we're covering a large breadth of information and we're covering a large breadth of um, different topics, everything from mental health to environmental, traditional ecological knowledge, as well as like, what does it mean to be a contemporary indigenous person with this entire worldview from the northernmost part of the world that is interacting with places like the United Nations, Mm -hmm. with places like top universities, in, in and across Turtle Island, and with different scientific communities, um, I could keep going if you want me to. <laughs> but yeah, give us. I also understand that we have other questions.
0: Well, yeah, actually, let's. Um. Well, one question, like one of the things that I'm thinking about from from hearing you talk about these people who are going to be featured um, on on the land, is um, really sort of diving into more of some of the the issues and and I would really love to hear from you um you know what you think are some of the most pressing issues facing indigenous people and then and then also on the on the flip side of that like what are the greatest opportunities now that we know that we're in a world that is evolving and and, and changing so I I'd, I'd love to just sort of unpack some of the the issues and the opportunities that you both are exploring and then also coming to understand through your process of your academic research, but then also the creation of on the land.
1: Mm. Heavy question. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> There's <laughs> the first part of it is what gets me so, you know, frustrated and mm-hmm. so I think in many ways angry. <laughs> yeah. And then the second part of it is really what gives me hope. And even in this time right now, I I hold a lot of optimism. Um and so speaking to that first part of that question, some of the issues that we face as Indigenous people you know, are impacting and I are impacting people that have been marginalized and that have been colonized throughout history um, to differing and varying degrees. You know, I cannot stress enough that Black and, uh, you know, Latinx and Asian and other like POC communities are also feeling a lot of the same impacts that I'm going to be talking about today. And a lot of those communities have also, you know, we, we are impacted, one, I would say, by borders to and in, in those borders are only amplifying the issues that we are facing due to anthropogenic, you know, man-made climate change. And I would say that that is probably the biggest issue that we're facing right now. Um, and I I say that with some caveats and with some nuances because we have continuously since, you know, first being since our our shores were first, uh, you know, visited by Christopher Columbus in mm-hmm. 1492, we have faced, we have faced disease, <laughs> we have faced the impacts of genocide and of um, missionaries and of boarding schools, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the list just keeps and of claims, the list just keeps going on. And yet, right now we're at this nexus where all of the intergenerational trauma, the trauma and the memories that we hold from our grandparents and our great grandparents going through each of these waves of colonization are being felt so much more under climate change and the grief that comes along with that. The grief that comes along with like, oh, hey, you know, my generation right now, you know, I'm 25 and it's, it's been amazing to witness the generation right before me and the generation right after me because I think my generation is really the, the tipping point. We are the, the tipping point of saying, oh, we, we see and we felt through this trauma and we also can see how to heal through it. We see mm-hmm. how to heal through it through our stories we are remembering what it's like to be on the land and be in touch with our traditional medicines. We are now, we now have the space and the a little bit more of the time. We're now going to school where we're saying like, okay, you're teaching me this history. Well, this is what I wanna focus on. I wanna focus on the stories that my great-grandmother was passing on to me and the lessons that I can be learning from those, but I'm gonna be using it through your Western Academy in order to explore it in my thesis. You know, so there's this whole like we're at this convergence point right now where we are we're 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 feeling right. <laughs> we're feeling and I don't think there's not there's not just one issue that is more so than any other. Right. It's that right now there are so many stressors that we're we're facing. We are facing, because the because empire right now, you know, and we're seeing it. I think people are seeing it so much more with coronavirus. People yeah. are seeing empire collapse before mm-hmm. their eyes. We're realizing mm-hmm. right now that healthcare systems don't necessarily need to be the way that they are. They are. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're seeing right now that, you know, work can be done from home, and people can have a better you know balance of life and see their families again when maybe they haven't been able to and there's so many more nuances to that but at the same time what is this what does this point in our life right now offer of saying how do we slow down and and how do we remember in this time where those systems that have been based off of scarcity and that have been based off of consumption are crumbling a little bit <laughs> yeah they absolutely are
0: no but this i mean this stuff tales, like perfectly into the other part of the question is what are the opportunities i mean on the other side of adversity on the mm-hmm. other side of chaos is opportunity is innovation. And I would agree with you that we are absolutely seeing a complete disruption to um, air quote, normal, like what's normal um, in, in disrupting the status quo is absolutely what we need for so many reasons. Like all you have to do is look at the environment. And that's like one of the number one things that should be telling us, figure out how to do this a whole different fucking way than the way we've been doing it. Right. So I think that Um, for me, one of the things that I keep trying to remind myself and think about is that this time that we're in right now is incredibly difficult and stressful and people are losing their lives and losing their jobs. And, um, it is, there's so much tragedy, um, and loss in all of it. And at the same time, it's an opportunity to recreate. And so, you know, from an indigenous standpoint, how how do you see that recreation or that creation of something completely new
1: yeah and i you know i just want to go back to the fact that you said you know everybody's normal is shifting and yet you know what is the normal that is being centered what is the normal that has mm-hmm. been centered you know the normal that's mm-hmm. been centered is a 9 to 5 job the normal that has been centered is you go to school for what 20 something years (laughs) I think like 17 Mm -hmm. years or whatnot and your school is only to feed you into a job and if you you know it's a dependent there's there's so many like things that are dependent on a normal that is just constructed within like a western hegemonic system I'll use on the land as an example and I There's a part of me that really even hesitates in doing that because I think if we're under a system that is used to comparing like, oh, this brand is doing this and this company is doing that and that podcast is doing this and this is how they're all competing for this funding, you know, Mm -hmm. and under that system, it would seem strange to be using on the land as, you know, something that can provide opportunity and maybe hopefully can provide an, a way forward and yet what we're really trying to do you know we were a podcast initially but we're we're growing from like beyond that and we're growing beyond that because we have had so much positive feedback from our own indigenous communities and beyond that as well by people saying oh my goodness, we need this. We need a place where we can hear our voices reflected. And, you know, for people that are are visitors to Turtle Island or visitors in, you know, um, in Satmi or visitors in Canada, people are saying, how do we learn from you? How do we engage with Indigenous Mm -hmm. people in the right way? Because our education systems, Western education systems have not taught people our histories, and they haven't taught people how to live in relationship with one another. Um, and so I really think that right now it's an opportunity for us to be shifting from that mindset of, of comparing and contrasting and saying, how do we work together? How do we build a collective? Which is why On the, media, on, on the Land has become a media collective. We see ourselves as a platform to amplify the voices, of people that are already doing work in, in our communities. You know, we want to be engaging with young people. Like we want to be engaging with people in general, regardless of their age, regardless of their gender, regardless of, you know, their tribal affiliation on, it, with the work that they're already doing, and and how do we provide them with support so that we can grow and and see these opportunities? So, I really see on the land growing in a way that is is collaborative. It is consensual, which means that, you know, I I am just one piece. It yeah. It I pressed the create button on the website <laughs> and started mm-hmm. to record. You know. <laughs> storytellers and whatnot and that's maybe that's my gift right now that's my gift and that's mm-hmm. my responsibility to honor but i know that you know laura who is our creative director is phenomenal in visual storytelling and in graphic design and i would not be able to do this without her i know that Michaela, who is um She's Blackfoot and I, we actually just met within the last two months and, and upon our meeting, it was like, oh, hey, here's this person that is so talented and so gifted and knows how to visually tell stories through photography that I want to, like, I want to amplify her work. And I see us moving forward on this trail together, you know, alongside Laura and then alongside Zach, who is our audio creative, our tech audio technician, who is an amazing vocalist, and, you know, can provide um, support for our audio pieces, and then also just needs to be expanding and wants the time to do his creative efforts as well. And I want to be able to support literally his voice. And so right now we're working at on our Arctic presence. But each one of these creatives each one of these people have stories that they can tell within their communities. And as an, you know, as being trained under public policy and being trained in anthropology, and a lot of times people are like, I don't see how those overlap. Well, both of them are studying people, (laughs) you know, both of them are like engaging with people with public policy. It's like in, in the Western sense, it's okay. How do I, how do I evaluate this, this group of, you know, users, or these, this, this public apparatus, and how do I create a system that is going to contribute to their overall well-being? And then anthropology looks at people and says, what is going on here? And and how are people interacting with one another? And so I really see this, you know, moving forward i i just got really excited <laughs> like just even right now thinking about like we're just learning how to communicate we're learning how to communicate and yeah. and build community and luckily western education doesn't negate anything that we're trying to do it only adds to it only adds mm-hmm. to and going back to those silos you know each one of us on our team could be siloed into like oh you're a graphic designer oh you're a photographer oh you're an audio you know technician or just you know or, or a singer but that's not true you know we're we're all growing and we all can be using our gifts to collaborate with one another and be using multiple forms of knowing whether it's traditional ecological knowledge or the knowledge that we have learned from the academy mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And now now is a great time for people to really dig into that and understand the ways in which people have mm-hmm. engaged um, with the land and engaged with each other outside of a capitalist framework, right? Because as, as you said, we're watching all of that sort of crumble in front of us, but there's in, this incredible opportunity on the other side to... Um, to return to a way that was very sustainable um, and where, where, you know, people can actually thrive. And for me personally, um, you know, there's, when you look at that traditional ecological knowledge and, and, and there's examples of it from all over the, the, the world, there really is, um, there's a handbook that exists for us like we don't have to start from scratch on this. We just have to be willing mm-hmm. to look in different places than we or 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 ask people that we may not normally go to and 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 really sort of expand our understanding of what is possible. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, that's kind of exciting. Yeah.
1: I think it's really important to emphasize Sometimes a fear that could come up around conversations like this, because it is scary. (laughs) It's scary when you see four hundred years, five hundred years, you know, plus of a system that has, you know, been cannibalistic in many ways, Mm -hmm. and has just fed off of itself and fed off of people and it's the, the fear that comes alongside of stepping outside your comfort zone is enormous. And I think right now, you know, I'm not as, I'm not as familiar with everybody that listens Mm -hmm. to Juicy Bits, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are, you know, from the outdoor industry that might be engaging with Juicy Bits are going to be thinking about, well, where do I fit into this? You know, a lot of conversations that I've had with allies and a lot of, you know, non-Native friends is there's, there's a lot of fear around like, well, where do I fit in? Mm-hmm. You know, where do I fit, fit in right now? And they're, they're usually white. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times they're male, <laughs> you yeah. know? And, and the question is always like, well, do you want to just go back? And it's like, no, we don't want to go back. Yeah. Like you said, and like we, we've been saying it's, we need to just remember the ways that we have existed on the land. And and that existence wasn't easy. None of this is going to be easy. There's not going to be one solution. There's not going to be one single way of doing it. And that's the thing is, like, we are not homogenous people. We have the ability of having that collaboration of, you know, contributing the gifts that we do have as individuals and as communities and as individuals and communities that are working together with other individuals and other in- communities. And there's a place and a time for everybody but some people need to sit back and listen yeah. and other people it's their time to step forward and and be in positions of leadership because we remember a little bit more, you know yeah. <laughs> we're, we're a little bit more in touch with right now and so i think it's how do we how do we sit with that
0: yeah you
1: know and i'm i'm we're all also learning we're all learning and we're all moving forward and in facing some of those fears and decolonizing together (laughs) and i think
0: like everyone's recognizing too that it's not about us right so if you are that cisgendered white man who mm-hmm. feels like well what's my role in this like it it doesn't have to be centered around you like it's okay to sit back just to yep. sit and listen that's that's actually an okay role you don't have to lead fix solve speak like it's okay to listen and then you know even people who are front and center um you know it's not even about those people either it's about a greater movement it's about communities it's it's about um, it's about the land, like there, there's, it's just bigger than all of us. And so in that sense, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't take it personally. We should really look at like, what are the unique ways that we can contribute to a world that um, supports
1: everyone and everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I think that's probably been one of the, mm best feels like such a flat word <laughs> right now, but it's like what I can think of. It's been the most astounding or like one of the most uh, enlightening <laughs> pieces of starting to host and create a podcast. And I'd be curious to hear your you know reflections on this is just the role of being a host on a podcast and the role of the really the role of creating it because mm-hmm. auditory, engagement is so specific and that's the reason that I initially chose to do something like on the land through auditory you know auditory engagement or through a podcast you know I could have chosen film or I could have like chosen some other media medium but podcasting is the most uh the most similar thing that we have to our traditional storytelling practices. It was very intentional that we move forward with a podcast because it is people telling stories and then it is also the most democratic form of media that we have right now. You don't need to, you know, you can subscribe, but subscriptions are free to all podcasts. (laughs) They're accessible on multiple platforms. And right now, the biggest thing that I'm thinking about is like, you know, how do I get this out to communities that don't have broadband access? Mm-hmm. A lot of our communities, either on the reservation or across the circumpolar north, don't have the broadband, don't have the Wi-Fi, don't necessarily have, you know, the the computer or the iPhone <laughs> that you and I have. And you and I are, like, broadcasting things on. So, like, how do we get this to local radio stations? Right. But at the same time, you know, the auditory delivery is is so engaging because it allows you to to listen and I as the the host, you know, or as the whatever you mm-hmm. want to call me. Um I I took two months. To say, how do I just sit back and listen again? Yeah. Cuz I constantly am trying to reevaluate and just say like I it is it is an honor that I get to speak with each one of the storytellers that we have on On the Land. It is an honor that I get to listen to their stories because in their transmission of 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 their story to me, that's that's their knowledge, that's their that's their worldview. They are conveying their experiences, and that is worth more than anything else the physical world has to offer. And so as somebody that is carrying those stories and has the responsibility to deliver them out into the universe (laughs) that's a huge responsibility and so you know as listeners as a listener and as a host and then as listeners that we'll be engaging with on the land what is what is your responsibility you know what is your responsibility to the stories you are listening to on an everyday whether it is on juicy bits whether it's on, on the land, whether it is you know, listening to NPR or Fox News or CNN, mm-hmm. what, are, what are our responsibilities to the media that we're consuming, to the artwork that we're consuming to, and, and maybe it's not even consumption either. You know, What is the re- reciprocity that we can have as listeners and as people that are engaging with other forms of mm-hmm. creation?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thinking about how people can engage with you and on the land and with these stories, how can our listeners support you?
1: Oh, such a big question. <laughs> um, you can find us on the landmedia.com. And there we have built out an entire apparatus C where you can not just listen, but you can also engage with our syllabus, which we, I, I need to bolster up a little bit more, but we are having entire syllabus out there so that, you know, there's, there's another form for people to engage in if, if audio is not their like best form of learning. And so a lot of the references that I will be having in the podcast can be will will be on Mm -hmm. that syllabus. And then we will be building that out a little bit more. There'll also be a glossary of terms for things like indigenous sovereignty and, you know, capitalism and colonialism. So that if these are words that, you know, this system, this Western education system hasn't taught you that it's a it's a easy, it's an accessible and it's um, you know it's a place that you can go to and not have the i think a lot of times there's shame around what people don't know and we don't want to have that anymore we need to be opening conversations and so we're going to build a platform right now for people to be open right. to having the conversations yeah. and be open to like the things that they don't know so that's at onthelandmedia.com um you can listen to us on spotify itunes yeah. uh castbox Patreon, um, (laughs) a few others. I'm still, I'm still new to this as well.
0: (laughs) Well, those are all the big ones. I mean, if our listeners can't figure out iTunes, Spotify, or Patreon, then we need another website on that for them, I think. But those are (laughs) three great places. And the, and the Patreon, now (laughs) <laughs> with with the Patreon is that a place where people can financially support you on your Patreon?
1: Yes. And I think right now that's honestly one of the biggest ways to support us. We right. don't have any sponsors right now. Yeah. We you know, we're we're kind of working on that, but that's also something that it's a slow process. A lot of brands are built off of fast and easy like how do we get this money to you and you know, like one and done, like it's a very transactional and we're not trying to work like that. You mm-hmm. know, we're working with different brands in the outdoor industry or different brands just across the board. Um, even different grants that are out there. We're we're trying to change systems here. Like we're trying to say, hey, we want to be in relationship with you and we want you to grow and learn with us. Um, And so the biggest way, you know, that we're trying to grow right now is really through that listener engagement. So our Patreon can also be found at On The Land Media. Um, There's a link to it on our website. And that, I think, is the most democratic way of, you know, engaging people and having them invest in us in the beginning. And we are growing out our Patreon program. Um, There will be some stickers and possibly some mere coffee cups in the future (laughs) Um, for different supporters so be on the lookout for that you know we we still are growing uh and then the other thing that you can do you know if you want to support us the the best and biggest way i believe honestly is just with reviews and feedback i want to hear from you i want to hear how you're perceiving the information you know who are storytellers that you're you know really engaged with and what you want to hear more of that will honestly just help to create on the land so that it's not just the stories that we see need to be amplified but the stories that we see you as listeners also wanting to be heard and amplified and listened to
0: well, Denali, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on Juicy Bits today and I know that I'm going to definitely be heading over to your Patreon because in these times one thing that we can do is support creatives and a Patreon is a really easy way to just be able to give a couple bucks a month and when you think about that, you know, magnified by 10, 20, 100 people, it makes a lot of difference and Juicy Bits is also on Patreon, so I understand how that can actually make a podcast run. <laughs> so, um, thank you again so much for being on the show today.
1: Yeah, how's your condition? And yeah, I just thank you and thank your team for amplifying us. This is, you know, our first interview that we've done with another podcast, which I think is so exciting. And mm-hmm. again, it really just goes to show how much we can amplify one another's voice and and grow with each other and hey i'll probably be heading over to your patreon as well (laughs) and to all of our listeners i want to thank you for tuning
0: in today and also know that we would love your reviews and love your feedback so head on over to itunes let us know what you think or you can send us a message uh thanks everyone for your time and we'll talk to you next time